I would say to people, find your, find your bliss, find the thing that, that really bothers you and then go out and see what you can do. And even if you don't feel like, look, I've been doing this work for how many years? If you ask me, are we any further ahead than we were 25 years ago? I don't know the answer. I couldn't tell you that we've absolutely changed things over this 25 years, but imagine if we hadn't been doing the work where we'd be. Hello, and welcome to the Shiftmakers podcast, where we share the collective wisdom some of our greatest minds have to offer. I am your host, Marianne Schnall, a writer and journalist. Over the years, I've had the incredible honor of interviewing a variety of remarkable changemakers, and it is my pleasure to share some of these recordings with you for this podcast. Welcome to Shiftmakers. Today, I'm excited to return to my recent conversation with my friend, the activist and artist V, formerly known as Evansler. In our first episode, we had an exciting discussion of my guest V's new musical collaboration, Wild. In this half, we discussed the paradigm shift she most hopes to see in the world, turning pain into power, what she has learned living in nature, how she keeps herself centered in these concerning times, and much more. We begin here with V's advice for those who feel distressed and overwhelmed by the many issues we face in the world today, but who feel powerless to change it. You've always been so bold and courageous, you know, for people who feel like they're, they can't make a difference or that are made to feel like it's just kind of like hopeless. We've just gone over the edge. What would you, what would you say? I guess I've always, I'll go back to this thing that used to happen to me during the um, Reagan years when Reagan was saying that a a nuclear war was winnable and was threatening nuclear war. And then the whole, it's really when the nuclear anti-nuclear movement came to be. And I was obsessed about nuclear war and, and constantly finding myself like evaporating. And I was sure I was going to die any minute. And I got very, very active in the movement. And I, I, I lived in Chelsea at the time in New York, and I was very active in a local Chelsea group called Can Do, Chelsea Against Nuclear Destruction United. And it was this amazing group. And we met and did actions every week. And I would, it, and I would just stand on the corner of 23rd and 7th and I would hand out leaflets every week, every week, every week. And, and people would you know, usually spit on me and ignore me. And finally one day this person came up to me and they said, I see you here like all the time. And people are just like so mean to you and they don't even stop. And why do you keep doing this? And I just laughed and I said, well, I guess it's like this. At that moment when the nuclear weapons are flying towards us, I'm going to know I did everything in my power to stop it. And that's going to make me feel good. And if that's the only reason, that's the only reason. But it makes me feel alive to work to make the world a better place. Like that makes me feel good. It's not like, it's not an unselfish thing. It's it's a joyful thing. Um, you know, to be able to be part of creating, for example, City of Joy, or helping Agnes open her safe house in Kenya, or being part of this glorious One Billion Rising movement that is now going into our 10th year, or V-Day, which is going into our 25th year. I mean, this has been the greatest life on the planet. I've gotten to meet the most wonderful women in the world. I've gotten to struggle with them for years and years and know them and laugh with them and cry with them and, and fight together to, to bring in a world that, that we all want to see. To me, I don't know what else I'd be doing with my life. This is the life I want. And, you know, maybe it would be great to think we weren't in this struggle and we could actually relax and have fun together and not be struggling. That would be wonderful. But I don't, 
I, 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 when people say like they're hopeless and they don't want to do anything to me, if I stopped fighting, if I stopped struggling, if I stopped trying to transform, I would just be so depressed. I would, I would go crazy. I would. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I think I live pretty close to the edge psychologically. Anyway, I came from a very, very, um, very, very um, violent, um, terrible situation as a child. I've managed to really, to a large degree, pull myself out of all that. And I feel, I feel well to a large part, but I know I live on that edge where I can easily fall over if I am not doing work that makes me feel like I am transforming and continually to transform my own consciousness and hopefully to work to transform and support the transformation of others. And so it's my survival. It's my survival. Um, I don't know how I would live any other way. And it, it doesn't feel like a burden. It feels like um, I feel grateful that I get to do this work. And I feel grateful that I get to um, work with amazing people and, and think up wonderful campaigns and wonderful ideas like this year with the body, like how are we, what are we going to do to represent the body and how are we going to get women from all over the world to write about the body and, and draw the body and, and make films about the body. This to me is the most exciting thing in the world. So um, I would say to people, find your, find your bliss, find the thing that, that really bothers you and then go out and see what you can do. And even if you don't feel like, look, I've been doing this work for how many years? If you ask me, are we any further ahead than we were 25 years ago? I don't know the answer. I don't. I think th there are some ways we are very much further ahead and there are other ways it doesn't seem like we've moved an inch. And, and I always go back to what Carl Jung said about the century that you, know, you will only exist if you can hold two opposite thoughts at the same time. And I think we are always beginning and we are always about to end. We are always, you know, changing and we're always going nowhere. It's like, so part of it is like, how do you live in that kind of Beckett-like landscape and just keep finding the work and doing the work and trusting that, you know, I said to someone the other day, maybe I, I couldn't tell you that we've absolutely changed things over this 25 years, but imagine if we hadn't been doing the work where we'd be. At least right now, there's kind of like this balance of good and bad. Like, it's like, whoa, it's, 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 and I, I think, I think sometimes right now the negative is tipping, but if we stop doing what we're doing, maybe we're just holding back the water at this point, you know, rather than swimming ahead. Right. But that's a lot, but that's a lot. You know, if you think about what the consequences would be if people who were in this struggle and in this movements stopped doing what they were doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thinking about that, um, well, Lotus had referenced it um, in her interview, that quote, it's better to light one candle than curse the darkness, which I always just love. You know, the fact that even with the One Billion Rising events, because I remember talking to you about this, the fact that they do incorporate joy and dancing, even though these are obviously serious problems, but that to allow ourselves to still feel joy and to dance and and that all of that too, that, you know, that's what I think is so great about the way that you incorporate art and joy into advocacy. It's, sometimes people think of it as just, you know, a protest, that it's, a, it's like a way of life, but it also doesn't mean that you can't enjoy your life. <laughs> you know, that, well, I, I don't think people are drawn to things that aren't joyful, yeah. sexy, fun, that, that don't make them feel good. Mm -hmm. And I think 
I think we have this notion sometimes on the left that if you're in pain, you're doing the work. If you're in drudgery, you're doing the work. And, and for me, I think who inspires me most are the people who have been leaders, but with joy, uh, Muhammad Ali. He was just the most amazing leader. Malcolm X had this, like a huge vitality and intellectuality. Um, I think of Toni Morrison, who had this brilliance and had this um, gigantic heart. And I think of James Baldwin, and I think of Tina Turner, and I think of the people who who have inspired me in my life and who get me up in the morning and, and make me feel like it's possible. They've always had both this radiance to them, this light, this come on folks, let's do it. Let's let's build a new world. And and I think that is the energy that is required right now if we're really going to engage people and, and invite people to keep coming into our movements, you know? And I'm looking at some of these amazing young activists or political people, whether it's AOC or Cori Bush or Pramila Jayabal, or like they're just amazing women who are feisty. They have a sense of humor and they have a sense of style. And you want to be their friend. They're interesting people. And I think we can't be afraid of that. We have to really embrace that. And I think one of the joys of being an artist is that's what we do. You know, it, it's the work of creating beauty and creating magic and creating community and, and um, living not in the binaries, you know, opening up those binaries. So there's, you live in the question, you live in wonder and you live in, you live in awe and you live where poetry lives, which is in the unanswered spaces. But those spaces are so provocative and inspiring. They, they want you to keep grappling with more ideas. And that's where I want to live. And, and, and I want to create places so other people can do that for themselves and they can do that for other people. Season two of Shift Makers was brought to you by the Shift Network. Shift offers courses, programs, and workshops to unlock your full potential through transformative education and media with like-minded allies who are called to create a better world. Visit theshiftnetwork.com to learn more about their online courses, summits, and events. If like, you know, an alien species were to look down at humanity and just in terms of where we are in the evolution of, of humanity's consciousness, let's just say, because um, I feel like, you know, we've, we've made technological and scientific, you know, achievements and progress in so many areas. But if you had to like give an assessment of where the human species is in terms of our spiritual evolution, um, and again, for lack of a better word, how would you assess it? I mean, obviously we have made these achievements, but yet it's pretty, you know, self-destructive really. I do think that's what it's about, that it's a consciousness thing, you know, and everything that you're talking about seems to me you know, about almost like elevating our state of consciousness. It's not about, you know, achieving something or, you know, something we need to do. It's actually about instead going really in and, and into our juice, if that makes sense. Right now, I feel like humanity <laughs> is encased in this kind of patriarchal capitalist racist box, right? It's, it's structural, right? So much of it's structural. And um, I don't think we're even aware even a tiny bit of how inside this box we are most of the time because it's so much the givens, right? So I think when you experience people step out of that box, right? And I've seen that when people dance 
I've seen that when people do plant medicine. I've seen that when people do theater and they come into something really, just really powerful in theater. I've seen it when people do really ecstatic and, and just gorgeous poetry, where people just step out, they break out of those confines. Mm -hmm. You really see the hunger in people, the longing in people to be broken out of these structures that have maimed their humanity. Men where patriarchy has torn their hearts asunder, given them no space to be vulnerable, no space to express doubt, no space to have, to, to be human beings, right? And when you see men in a different environment where they're suddenly allowed to be free, you then say, oh, wow, every one of us, every one of us, is hungering to be free someplace. Now, everybody does something different with it. Some people go, I never had it, never want it, cut it off. I'm gonna be that person who will never be free and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Some people get very depressed. Some people you know, um, become really extreme and, and will never be tamed and will break out forever. But the truth of the matter is, I think it is a human desire to be ourselves, to express ourselves, to be truly ourselves. That is, that is our deepest human desire to be seen for ourselves, to be celebrated for ourselves. And I think we live in a culture that has taught us that that won't happen. Um, and instead it's given us this kind of, um, if you, you know, it's kind of like the witch and the broom. Like if you make enough money, if you get famous enough, if you have enough followers, if you, um, you can go down the list, you will suddenly arrive and all will be yours, which of course we know is complete rubbish. But that's, that's the lane, going back to the lane, that's the lane that everybody's caught on. And I think once you say, you know what, I think I'm going to go into the forest. I'm going to get off the lane. I'm going to go into the forest and I'm going to get lost in the forest and I'm going to hang out with the trees and the moss and the rivers and the birds and the, you know, and the, and all the insects and all the incredible coyotes and foxes and bears that live there. Then all of a sudden, like you begin to feel that freedom again. You begin to feel, oh, 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 this is possible. When you, the moon last night, I don't know if you saw the moon last night. It was so powerful. It just like came through my window and it was like, woke me up. And I felt like, I just want to be in this moon. I want to be in this moon. That That's who I want to be. I want to open and expand myself to be moon. And when I feel that, I feel everything is possible. And I think that is true with most of us. I think that's, it's in our being somewhere, that hunger, that hunger for our deepest humanity, for our deepest freedom, for our most authentic nature, whether we are disguising it or not, it's still there, that hunger. Oh, and things you were just saying about the moon, because I also, you know, experienced that. And I'm, you know, both of us now, like living in the Hudson Valley amongst nature, because I'm a, I'm a Manhattan kid. And I, the same thing where I'm just like, oh my God, the buds on the trees and like, there's a squirrel. And I mean, it's, I'm just amazed and going back to wild and just, you know, I think part of it, we're so disconnected often from nature to even take the time. Yeah. To go outside and look, look at the moon. We're on a planet for God's sakes, you know, like seriously, but like just yeah. stop for just even a second and be like, I'm on a planet and maybe it's a good idea to take care or whatever it is. What does nature have to teach us in addition to what we have to do to sort of take care of it ourselves? I was in the city my whole life too. So I, I know of what you speak. To me, I feel like every day here 
I am, I'm just in awe. Like I'm in awe and I'm in service. And I, I am asking every day for her this to teach me how to serve her the best that I possibly can. Like, what can I do in my life to be in the greatest service to to make sure that we protect her, that we make sure that we cherish her, make sure we honor her, make sure we celebrate her and make sure that we stop the destruction of her. And so to me, to, to live in, in a place that has running water through it, to go out and hear the, just the wildness of birds every morning, to see these fish, these koi fish in my pond and this massive snapping turtle, Lydia, who lives with me to she's just, just see the deer who, who live like pets and just walk everywhere here. And they're just like other little dog creatures, but they're deer. I, I, I can sit at my window and look at the bird feeder for hours because it's just amazing who shows up every day. It's like, oh, look, the Cardinals came today. And oh, look, this one's good. And, and it's like, and I love that they come here. And I love that this place is becoming more and more a bird sanctuary and that they trust this place more and they see it as their home. And I look at the trees and I look at how well they're doing. And one of the things I've learned being here is that when you love the trees, they, 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 they grow. They need, they need us to behold us. They need us to see them. They need us to appreciate them as we need other people to appreciate us. We, we grow in their light. We grow in their love. And so part of what I love to do is just go and appreciate everybody and hug them and say, you're doing amazing. Look at you. You, you know, I had this, I had this willow tree that was really hurting. She was the daughter of the mother tree mercy and she was really hurting. And um, the wonderful people who helped me with this land were saying like, she's dying, you need to take her down. And I said, I don't really think she's dying. I think she's hurting. So could we just maybe take the half of her off so that she doesn't have as much to carry and then maybe she'll be able to come back. And they were like, well, okay. They, they thought I was a little crazy, I could tell. But in fact, they took the top off, which was dying. And she came back with a vengeance. And the whole tree was just like this weeping willow madness. It was just like wildness. And I thought, wow, I really felt that tree. I understood that that tree didn't want to die, but that there were, and I, it's like becoming in tune with things, feeling, they start to tell you what they need. They start to tell you who they are. If you listen. I, I have to confess that I have a special relationship with a tree. I'm going to have to send you a picture of this tree because actually my family makes fun of me because when I first moved up here, there was a tree like on the patio, that just this tree that was when we came up and then it, it, it started to sprout buds and then they became leaves. And I was like in such amazement and people were like, that's spring. But for a city kid, I was like, Oh my God, like, did you see every day? There's a little bit more. And so, but now like, I, like I see it through the seasons, but I, I, I swear I feel love for this tree and I, I feel the tree loves me back. Like I do have like, like I have a relationship with this tree. So I, I understand, I, I totally understand. And we should all like, you know, take that time because, you know, it's, it's really important to, to have, to be able to feel that, that, you know, connection. What, paradigm shift do you think we most need to see in the world? I mean, I think we've talked about it. I think we have to go from dominating to cooperating. Mm -hmm. I think we have to go from extracting to generosity, to recycling, to understanding that resources are, are not, are limited 
and that we have to live with less and, and recycle and reutilize so much of, of what we already have. I think we have to really get out of any notion, any notion anywhere that any one group of people, whether they be white or straight, or we can go down the list, Christian or are better, more important, more valuable than any other group. That's just pure nonsense. Like we're all here in this grand human mandala and it each one of us makes up the ingredients of that incredible mandala. And without each one of us, it would not be what it was meant to be. The paradigm I want to be living in is a paradigm where there wouldn't be one person on earth who could walk by and accept that another person was homeless, was hungry, was being treated poorly, was being shamed, that it would be all of our responsibility, that we would really live as a human family. And we would understand that we were each a part of each other. So we, we were responsible for each other. We were responsible for each other. And I, I think I want to live in a place where there's magic, where we are always creating and, and, and imagining and, and living, um, you know, like those imaginal cells that live in our beings that like, that are there waiting to be born, that we find the catalyst. We are always finding the catalyst for those cells to come into being and, and not crushing them and not, and not wiping them out because people are afraid of creating a future that is, that is colorful, that is, that is passionate, that is empathetic, that is alive, that is heartful. Um, and, and I think the paradigm I would live in is one that valued the heart equally to the head. That we, we stopped this thing of the heart being seen as less than and understood that the heart is, is its own brain, its own organism, that emotional intelligence and, and knowing is, is so critical to our evolution as human beings. I keep thinking of like fascism feeds on people's fear. It feeds on fear. And I think part of the paradigm I'd like to live in is one that wasn't based on fear. You know, one that wasn't constantly manipulating fear or, 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 or triggering fear, but what was based on love, you know, that was based on a different energy so that we weren't always being scared of making a mistake or screwing up or, or, or getting it wrong or being canceled or, but that all of us really recognize that we were, are all imperfect creatures who have been brought up in races, sexist capitalist patriarchal societies that have trained us to be certain things. And we're, those of us who are in this are trying to undo that the best we can and are failing at it most of the time, but we're still trying to do it better. And that we would give each other a little stretch, give each other a little room, you know, think best intentions, think best intentions, you know, and, and lift each other up and, and help each other out. And yeah. a paradigm obviously where we just understood that the earth was, everything and that we we just bowed down to her every day and and served her every day mm -hmm. there's nothing oh. more magnificent than that <laughs> all of those things i just want to yes exactly just want to envision and manifest that world you know these times are really in intense for people and busy and um we're all juggling so many things and I know even for me, you know, sometimes I have to like really force myself to just take the time to like meditate or or go see my tree or whatever it is. 
what are, you know, are there, you know, you are so busy, you're doing, you know, so, so much different works. Are there, are certain, you know, practices or things that you do to keep yourself kind of like grounded and centered and kind of, you know, in the, in the right headspace that, you know, help yeah, you? I, I exercise a lot. I lift weights. I walk my dog all the time. I dance a lot because dancing just make brings me into my body. I practice TM meditation when I can. And you know what? I check in with my friends a lot. I mean, I just, I really feel we don't value friendship. And I think it's the most important thing in the world. Mm -hmm. It's the most unsung, unseen, unvalued thing in our culture because it's the most crucial. And I think having really good friends um, who know you, who you know, who checking in with them, loving them, lifting them up, um, letting them know where you're at, letting them know they can help you too because that makes them feel valuable. All of that is critical. And checking up on people who you know are going through struggles, that really keeps me centered. You know, like I checked in with someone today who I know is running a center and they're really going through a hard times or checking in with, I checked in with Christine at the City of Joy today or Dr. McGuigge called me today and just checking in with the people you love and, and making sure they're okay. That to me grounds me because that's my, that's my universe. And so when everyone's okay in my universe and I know how everybody is in my universe, I'm okay, right? I, I can't tell you how much I believe in friendship. And, you know, being a person who is, quote, single, whatever that means, you know, I live in a commune and I live with a group of people and it's been the best experience of my life. I never really got the coupling thing. I tried, but it just didn't work out for me. But it has been such a revelation to live in community and be devoted to the people I live with and to care about the people I live with and to have them care about me and to know we have each other's backs is it's just beautiful. And I think having, even if you have two or three people in your life who it's your group, it's your, it's your, it's your, those are your people mm -hmm. that goes a long way, you know, in keeping your sanity. Well, you, V, are one of those people for me. Oh, um, love you, Marianne. I think I, you're so amazing and you do such beautiful work in this world and you do it with such humility and such grace and such tenacity and I love you so much. Oh my goodness. I love you so much. And and again, having been there when for just to see that all that- we were in the room. <laughs> in the room. We I got the table upstairs. I, I still tell that story. So the story is this. My friend, the actress and activist Kathina Jimmy, called me one day back in 1997, and she said, her name is Eve Ensler. She's a writer. She's a feminist. She's an activist. Don't ask questions. Just call her. And she came to uh, my apartment in New York City, and we sat around the same dining room table that I, I currently have, which I am pretty convinced should maybe go into like a museum, where she shared with us her incredible, powerful vision of using her play to not help end, but to end just very definitively violence against women and girls. And we all sat around the table, myself with maybe, I don't know, less than 10 other female activists. And uh, it was there that the original concept for V-Day was born. So if you're ever wondering if you have an idea that seems out of reach or improbable, please remember what happened around that table that electric evening with V. 
but I use that as a way of saying there is, you can, anything is possible. You are just always an inspiration to me, and um, I could not be more grateful for you taking the time to talk to me because you are the exact type of visionary and, and leader and, um, you know, healer, just, the, you know, that we need now to be listening to. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you. 25 years later, V-Day has gone on to raise over $120 million for anti-violence programs across the globe and stage events in more than 200 countries. To learn more about my remarkable friend and support her art and activism, I encourage you to visit eveensler.org and vday.org. Thank you for listening, and I hope you will join us again. Shiftmakers was created by Marion Schnall, and season two was developed by Joy Donnell. Story producer and editor A. Kirsten. Research assistant Angela Joshi. Some audio mixing by Timothy Dixon. Special thanks to Emiliano Limon. For more information about this podcast or our host Marianne Schnall, please visit marianneschnall.com.